Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It is so good to have you here, and uh, you know it's got to be Christmas because if you look over here, way over back here, we have Elf on the Shelf already here at Greater Alton. So you better be good. He's watching. He's going to make sure you're taking notes and not playing on your cell phones. <laughs> now, Merry Christmas to everybody, and again, it's good to have you with us this morning, and thanks, bud, for being the Elf on the Shelf this morning. Oh, my goodness. Oh, um, good to be together uh, and to look at the Word of God together. You know, we're in a series of lessons. We just had our toy giveaway yesterday, and, and here we are. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up this series, talking about the Prince of Peace and having some children sing to us toward the end of the service and that Christmas week. And can you believe it's already here? This year has flown by. And we're in this series looking at one of the most popular passages quoted during the Christmas season. Which one are you talking about, Tim? I'm talking about the one in Isaiah 9-6. And look at this here in your notes, if you'd like to get your notes out and follow along or up on the screen. Isaiah prophesied this uh, to Israel during a dark time in their history. They're under captivity, and he speaks of a light that's shining. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. These will be his royal titles. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Who's this? Who's he talking about? Isaiah is speaking of somebody that would come about 700 years later. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. You know, Paul makes the same connection about Jesus and light as Isaiah in these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I want you to circle displayed there. That's very important because what we see is we see Jesus Christ when He came to this earth. He brought this light that Isaiah talks about. And He brings this light and it shines. It shines now on this earth. And it shines in four ways. It descri- in other words, Isaiah describes the character of this baby, and the, uh, the character of this light, the plan that this light has. For example, he brings the light of his wonderful counsel. He displays God's might. He brings peace in the world, but he also brings this idea of an everlasting father, eternal father. See, that's what I want to talk about today. What's that all about? What is it about Jesus bringing fatherhood? Because the idea of Jesus, picturing Jesus as a father, is a little confusing when you stop and think about it. Because that just sounds like we're going to be talking about the Trinity here. Or the Godhead is another way to say it. The reason it's confusing is because when you think of Jesus and when you see things said about Jesus, even the way we talk about Him, we normally don't talk to Him with this idea of Him being a father. I mean, after all, isn't He God's Son? Isn't that who Jesus is, as God's Son? Didn't He, while He was on this earth, pray? He said, pray like this, our Father. And there's examples of Him calling out to who He calls His Father. So it is kind of confusing. Why call Jesus everlasting Father? Why does Isaiah call Him that? Well, and by the way, does He fulfill this picture of an everlasting Father? And I got news for you, yes he does. He fills the idea of an everlasting father like he fills all the other descriptions. Look at this in Colossians 2, Colossians 2.9. Notice it says, For in Christ 
All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What's, he's, what's Paul, the Apostle Paul trying to tell us? He's saying all of God lives in the body of a human being that we have named or has been named Jesus Christ. All of God, everything about God, His fatherhood, His spirit, His it lives in this Son. His power, His wisdom, all of this is contained in this body that's called Jesus Christ. I remember hearing Jim McGuigan years ago in his Irish accent going, You want to see God? Is how he talked. One day there was a time when you would look and you could, somebody says, You want to see God? There he walks and he would be pointing at Jesus Christ. That's God walking in the flesh. And so Christ gives the fullness, everything you want to see in God. Everything of God and about God is wrapped in this child. And that's why, that's why you see Jesus, when He came, He did reveal God's wonderful counsel. Look at this passage again. There's Colossians 2, verse 3. It says, In Him, in Him, that is Jesus, are stored all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the counsel of God is inside this child. As not only does he bring that reveal the wonderful counselor, over and over again, Jesus displays and displayed the might of God. Look at this in 2 Peter 1.3. Here's what Peter says. One of his disciples said, Jesus has the power of God. He has all the power of God, in other words. And it's his power. He, by that power, he gives us everything we need to live a godly life. And so the Bible, and what do we see? We see this power displayed in the life of Jesus. All the miracles He performed. All the people He fed. Resurrecting from the dead. The book of Acts talks about, and the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus came and with signs and wonders displaying the power of God. He had all power. But there's something else about Jesus that we see in Isaiah 9 that He reveals while He was here. See, Jesus shows us a divine Father. He shows us the fatherhood of God. What God is like as a Father. You know, last week, and I know some of you may think I'm silly, i tell you some of my sermon secrets. Here's a sermon secret. I looked at every verse in the Bible that had the word Father in it. <laughs> over a thousand, over 1,100 verses in the Bible that use the word Father in it. And so I, for example, the Old Testament has 673 verses that talk about the Father. 600, and the NIV, 673. And you're thinking, well, what, 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 what does it use Father for? Well, here's what I noticed. When I went through all 673 verses, I only found 18 times in the Old Testament is God referred to as Father. 18 times out of 673 verses in the Bible, God is, and some of them are a stretch. I've got, I've got to tell you, a couple of them I don't know. You know, I think one, uh, Job, uh, God is talking to Job, goes, who's the father of the rain? I mean, that's included in the 18. Because I'm thinking, well, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'll tell you who is, me, Job. That's who I, I'm the father of the rain. I'm the source of the rain. Now, Jesus, when He talks about the Father, He mentions the Father, His Father, 101 times as God is His Father, just in the Gospel of John. 
Imagine that. All the whole Old Testament 18 times. And just in one book, in the book of John, Jesus connects God with a father 101 times. Here we give you a few. Look what he says here in John 10. I and the Father are one. I think someplace he says, you know, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Here he says, I and the Father are one. He's telling his disciples, we're in complete unity. In fact, he goes on in, in chapter 14 of John, he says this, If you've known me, you'd also know my Father. And look what he says here. From now on, you know him through me and have seen him in me. What's he talking about there? He says, when you see me, in fact, he says that in verse 9, the next verse there, when you see me, you see the Father. He's, he's saying, you'll see, you see the fatherhood of God. So did this child bring the everlasting Father to the world? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He talks about him constantly. And lives out this father life, this, the fatherhood of God with his life. Now why do you talk about it so much, Jesus? I mean, I thought about that. Why does Jesus talk about so much about this father, the father so much? Well, he wants you and I to understand, and he wants most of all for us to experience God's fatherhood. In other words, what do you want? You want to know what the father values? You want to know what the father wants? You want to know what the everlasting Father thinks? Jesus says, just listen to me, and I'll I'll show you. Just listen to my words. You want to know what your heavenly Father wants? You want to know what the everlasting Father has always wanted since the beginning and, and until the end? This everlasting, what does He want? Just watch me. Watch how I live. Watch what I do. And you're going to capture what the Father wants. Now, what does Jesus show me about the everlasting Father? This has been a very difficult lesson because I wanted to do the traditional, well, God's like a dad. But, you know, sometimes the the Bible doesn't allow you to do that. Yeah, I hate that. But I like that. You know, because it messes with me. And so I'm looking at this idea of what is what does he mean by everlasting father when he brings it? Is he talking about the Trinity here? He may not be talking about the Trinity at all. He may be talking about something else. And let me try to show you what I mean before before we get into this, what does he bring? Let me show you a picture here. Let me show you a picture. Anybody know who that is? It's not your grandpa. Anybody know who that is? That's Galileo, correct. What is he known as? father of astronomy, the father of modern science. This guy was the pioneer of scientific procedures and looking at science. And he was he was the originator of really using science to answer a lot of questions in life. Here's another picture or another stat is a statue. Anybody know who that is? If you can read uh, Greek, you probably know. Huh? No, it's not. It's Hippocrates. And what do we know about him? He's the father of of hypocrites. No, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was thought the same thing. Have you took the Hi- Hippo- Hippocratic oath or the? Yeah, yeah. I'm a hypocrite. I've been one a long time, and I really have lived up to that oath. That's not this guy. Okay. <laughs> He's the father of medicine, right? 
This guy was doing groundbreaking things that nobody else would do. Dissecting bodies and doing things against, against his culture. He was the first to, to say, let's look inside this body. Really look and see how it works. And a lot of modern surgical techniques today can attribute it to the father of medicine. Here's another one. Here's an easy one. George. <laughs> yeah, George. George Washington. And who, what is he known as? The father of our country. He was at the beginning when they signed the Declaration of Independence. He was there that led the troops. He was there to get it started. Thank God. Anybody know who this is? Huh? Wow, somebody, uh, was that, was that you over there? Yeah, I thought it was Dave. Yeah, that's, this is, his name is James Naismith. If you like LeBron James or don't like LeBron James, you can blame this man. Cause he started, he's the father of basketball. And he started with an actual apple basket and nailing it on a wall and they threw a ball in it and they had a guy on a ladder that would take it out. And I think the guy on the ladder was the father of making a hole in the bottom of the basket. <laughs> He's going, I'm tired of doing this. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. What was his name? Don't know. But the father of basketball. And here's another fella. And uh, this is not the guy from Breaking Bad. This is somebody else. <laughs> somebody who said, that looks like the guy from Breaking Bad. No, no, it's not him. Anybody know who that is? This is this name. I'm gonna to try to pronounce it right. Dasuki Inui, and he's the father of karaoke. If you're a karaoke guy, there's the guy to blame right there. Okay, there's the guy. He started it all. He said, "Hey, I got this idea," and he was the originator of this idea. I was gonna put up James Brown, you know, the father of soul, you know, but ah, you know. But you can think of, what do you think all these have in common? When you think about it, they're all fathers of what their field. They're the originators. They're the guys that started something. They're, they're the, they're the founders. They're the ones that are the source. So that's the flavor. That's the feel of Isaiah 9-6. That what Isaiah is saying is, this child is going to bring a a beginning like a father. He's going to start something. He's going to originate something. He's going to be the father of life itself. The father of eternal life. That's who Jesus is going to be. So with that in mind, I'm not saying that you can't use Isaiah 9 as a, as a, as a Trinity reference, but I think there's more to it than just saying Jesus is a father. It's what he brings this fatherhood into this, this, this earth. And we desperately need that. I appreciated what Danny was saying this morning. I want to say to you, you have, all of us here have something in common. We have a good, good father. Doesn't matter what the one you had on earth. You can all say, I have a good dad. It's our heavenly father. It's that everlasting father. Now, so what does Jesus show me about the Everlasting Father when He came? Well, first of all, the Everlasting Father is the source of my true identity. This is such a big deal. Who I am is based on a Father. Am I right? 
My father had something to do with who I am and my my my, my identity. My, when I was 18 years old, uh, I had I had owned uh, two cars. My dad helped me buy it one when I was 16. I paid it off in a year and got another one. Then I owned it for a year and paid it off. They weren't very expensive. And, and I got rid of it, and I went to the local dealership in Albion, and I stopped and talked to a guy named Sylvan Stennett, and I know none of you know who he is, but he kind of talked like through his nose. And he goes, okay, what can I do for you, young man? And I said, well, I'm, I'm wanting to buy a car. Now, I'm 18, and nobody takes 18-year-olds very seriously, especially car dealerships, and I'm going... Well, okay, well, tell me a little about yourself. What's your name? My name's Tim Gill. Oh, really? And one of the questions right out of the gate is, who's your father? What's that got to do with it? Who's your mother? I go, Rudell. And he goes, oh, Rudy, I know her. Who's your father? Jim. Oh, yeah, I know him. (laughs) What you don't know about my family is in Albion, we were on the wrong side of the tracks. That's how we were looked at socially. As on the wrong side of the tracks. And so I had a grandmother that cussed like a sailor at work, got into fist fights. And her name was Bobo. Maybe that's what caused all the fights. I don't know. But he's asking me who's my father is and why is he doing it? To size me up. To clarify who I am. You see where this is going already? You see, that, that's the thing I want you to see off the bat because when, as I read all those over a thousand verses with the word father, in it, I, I couldn't help but notice all those long passages that we skip over when we're doing quiet times. And so and so was the father of so and so. I sound like Walter Cronkite. And so and so was the father of so and so, and he was the father of so and so, and he was the father of so and so. Why are we tell? Why are we saying that? Why are you saying that guy is the father of so and so? Because that guy's name is a popular name, and there's lots of them. And I'm trying to clarify who he is, Tim. That's why the lineage of Jesus is so important. And see, you get your identity, and I get my identity from a father on earth. But you get your true identity from your everlasting father. Because he has a, he feels a certain way about you that never changes. He sees you in a way that never changes. Let me show you a passage here. This is in John 1. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. And the Lord led me to this passage. Remember, Jesus is, is, is he's, in John, he's meeting all of these, all these different fellas. And he is, uh, he's gathering his disciples. And finally, he, I think it's Andrew that introduces him, uh, his brother to, uh, Jesus. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, you're Simon, which means to hear to listen. And your dad's name is Jonah or John. He knew his dad. He he identifies him. He says, you've got your dad named you Simon. Now, sometimes we name our children, especially in the Bible. Sometimes we might do this to this day. Some people name their children in the Bible when they're going through something. 
And based on it, they name their child based on whatever experience they're having at the time. And so maybe something's going on here where Jonah or John, the, the, the father of Simon, is going through a time where he's really, need, he's really seeking the Lord and he's listening to God because he, he raises a heck of a guy here, this guy named Simon. And he is, he's wanting him, he's telling him with his name, you're going to be the guy that listens when, when God is speaking to you. Well, here's God speaking to him. And look what he says. He says, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You'll be called Cephas, which means, which is when translated is Peter. He goes, I know that your dad gave you your name, but I'm giving you another one that captures who you really are. See that? In fact, and by the way, I get to see, I can just imagine all the other disciples going, you're going to call him Rock? Because that's what his name means. Like Rock Hudson's Rock? Like the Rock? Do you smell what the Rock is cooking? That kind of Rock? You really think that's the guy? You got him pegged wrong. See, Jesus doesn't name you based on what you are now, but what you will become. Because that's your true identity. He created you to be a certain way, but the broken world has changed that definition. The broken world has had an impact on all of us. And he says, I want to get back to the original because I'm the father of identity. I'm the father of life. And I, I want you to know, my fatherhood is going to accurately tell you who you are. And you should listen to me. I don't know what you listen to. I can tell you what I've listened to when it comes to trying to figure out who I am. I look at other people. You Anybody ever watched Anger Management? Anybody here admit they'll watch, they've watched Anger Management? How's that? Okay, yeah. Remember that when they're, when they're in, in the, the, the circle of people and there's Buznick, David is sitting there, you know, uh, Adam Sandler, and uh, Jack Nicholson says, So, uh, Dave, tell us, who are you? And he goes, Well, um, I'm an assistant executive to a pet food industry. No, no, Dave, I'm not asking you what you do. Who are you? He goes, well, um, I'm kind of, uh, well, I, you know, I, I, um, I like to play tennis. No, 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 Dave, 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 I'm not asking you about your hobbies. I'm asking you, who are you? Well, well, you know, I, I tend to be, I, I, I get, I'm a little indecisive. I go, no, 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 Dave, I'm not asking about your personality. Well, I'm trying to answer. I don't know what you're wanting. Could you give me an example? How about, and he looks over at this guy named Lou and says, maybe he could tell me who I am. He goes, so you want Lou to tell you who you are? And everybody roars out laughing. Well, I just, just, who are you, Dave? He goes, I don't, I just, I I just don't, I'm I'm trying to figure, and and finally he pushes him, and he goes, I don't know what the you want. Remember? And he, and, Jack Nish goes, oh. And everybody kind of goes, whoa. And he starts writing. He goes, well, I think we know now. And it's time to move on. And he goes, and this is what what this character says. I never caught this. He goes, I just don't know what you want. You ever define yourself by what others want? I do it all the time. Based on their rejection or acceptance. If they accept me, 
or if I want their acceptance, I will push and pry and form myself into somebody they like. Hello? Or maybe it's not people that define who you are. I'm telling you right now, lots of people, I've let lots of people define who I am. I'll admit that. Maybe it's what you do. Well, I do this, I do this, and based on my job, that I base my identity based on that job, based on what I do. So maybe it's a friend, a family member, or or maybe it's um, an experience I have, and I base who I am based on a certain experience. Now the problem with all that is this, okay? When I'm thinking like that, all of these change. Some people who accept me may reject me. Hello? Sometimes the job falls through and I get another job. Either pays less or more. Or my circumstances change. Even what I think of me changes from time to time. Anybody else have know what I'm talking about? Even my own perception of me. Maybe I'm not as good as I used to be. Maybe I, I've lost a step or two. Or maybe I... And we have these lies and self-doubt dialogue. I'm, I'm playing cards with my family over Thanksgiving. And I just say under my breath, man, I'm lousy at this game. And my sister-in-law puts her hand on my shoulder and says, stop talking like that about yourself. I go, well, I'm just, j-. no, you're not joking, Tim. You say that a lot when we're playing together. I do? Yeah. You're beating yourself up. But I, I'm lousy at playing. That's beside the point. You are lousy at playing, but that doesn't mean, you know, that you're a lousy person. Wow. Well, let me ask you a question. What about your everlasting Father? What about your Heavenly Father? What I mean by that is, how much does He determine who you are and how you define yourself? Do you even know what He thinks about you? You know, a lot of people got this idea that God's just a big, you know, hairy monster that only can say no. Or he's got a lightning bolt in his hand ready to strike me at the moment I step out of bounds. Where do we get these concepts? Well, we read a verse and we, and we, one verse in the Bible instead of all the verses and look at everything that God, we find out, you know, when you start reading the scriptures, you find out God isn't out to get you. He just wants you. He just wants you. I mean, again, I want to ask again, how much is God determining your identity? Because He's the Father of identity. He's the, he, he is the originator of you, the Creator. Look, it says here in 2 Corinthians, I found this very encouraging. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. There's that pioneer, that starting, that source, that fatherhood. A new life begins when? When I become a Christian. This new life begins at a start. See, I, here's what I've learning. I've been learning, still learning, and I have to tell myself, I am not who you think I am. I am not even who I think I am. I am who God thinks I am. 
We need to say that sometimes. Not, not crazy like in the mirror, okay? But we do need to remember, I am who God says I am. And well, who does God say I am? I am, I am, I am. My identity is based on what He thinks. And see, Christmas, folks, Christmas of all shows what God really thinks of you and thinks of me. Because He comes to this earth. And it shows how He really feels about you and how He feels about me. And and Christmas shows what He really wants, what He's really after. Years later, Peter, who had a big identity issue, <laughs> boy, talk about a guy, you know, he'd say, you know, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, you know, and, or he'd act so tough, and, you know, he wasn't much of a rock, but Jesus calls him this rock. Years later, he shares what he finally learns from this, from Jesus, this identity that he has, and he, that he shares with every believer. He says in 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people. You've been chosen by God. Ah, he, he wouldn't choose me. He does. If you trust him, you're a Christian, you are chosen by him. He wants me. He says, a royal priesthood. What's that all about? A priesthood is a servant, but a royal priesthood to serve in His courts, to serve in His kingdom. If I were to say to you, regardless of the president we have, if you met somebody that says, yeah, I work at the White House, how, what would you do? You work at the White House? Yeah, what do you do? I'm a butler at the White House. You're the guy that welcomes everybody out. I'm a cook at the White House. You're a cook at the White House? What does the president eat? When, what times does he eat? What kind of food do you serve him? You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm a housekeeper at the White House. Notice I haven't said anything about the President yet. I'm a servant in the White House. And aren't we impressed by that? Not just any house. White House. A royal priesthood. He says, well, here's what you are as a, as a member of God's kingdom. As a Christian, he says, you're a royal priest. So he's made you... He says, I see you as somebody that's that's royalty a part of the royal court that serves in my kingdom. Now you may say, well, I'm not much of a, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I can do that. God disagrees with you. He just disagrees with you. Where'd you get that thinking? Where'd you get that stinking thinking that says, I can't do much for the Lord? He says, I think you're a royal priesthood. That's how I feel about you. You're a holy nation. Well, what's that mean? Set apart. A group, a church, a people, a family of believers that's set apart to do something on this earth. A holy nation. I know there's some countries, if you go in and you say you're an American, they might look at you and scowl. But I've never experienced that. I was in Hawaii one time and I was riding a bus through Honolulu. Denise and I were, and we met a couple from Belgium. I said, you're from Belgium? Yeah. Well, what's that, what's it like? Well, it's foggy a lot and it's, 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 you know, it's dreary. Nothing like Hawaii. This is beautiful. And what, are you, what country are you from? I said, we're from the United States. Oh, you're an American? Man. Where at? Illinois. Oh, well, I've always wanted to go to Illinois. But you're an American. Wow. I said, yeah, you don't know what you're missing when you don't come to the land of Lincoln. <laughs> you know? But the, you know, Hawaii is the land of Lincoln. Wow. What a difference. But the thing, the thing about that, there's this wowness 
that you're a part of the United States, we still have a wow factor in the world. Well, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're a part of a holy nation that God has chosen. You're a part of that. Now, I'm not saying suggesting you, you start telling yourself this stuff and get a big head. Yes, I'm a sinner. And that brings about humility. But when I think about these things, that I'm a royal priest of a holy nation, God's special possession, I'm going to carry myself a little differently than I would if I had some other thought of my identity. Special possession, what's that all about? As a father, I think of my special possession are my two sons and my grandchildren. I'd do anything for my two sons. I've done some crazy stuff for my two sons. I've rehabbed two houses for my two sons. I was insane when I decided to do that. But I'll do it. I'll do it. I'd do it again. Hate it, but I'd do it. Why? Because they're my special possession. That's how fathers, that's how your heavenly father, the, the good father you have thinks about you. You're a special possession. That you may declare the praise. He wants you to talk about this. Why, why do you even have to be encouraged to? When you start thinking like this, that I'm chosen by God, that I'm a royal priest, that, that I'm a holy nation, I'm God's special, special possession. I want you to talk about this. No problem. Who, look what it says here. Here you see little Isaiah 9. Who called you out of darkness into his Wonderful light. See, folks, this is how God really feels. This is, this is how the everlasting, the eternal Father has always felt about you and will always feel about the, about you. And this is important. I want you to catch this. And He wants what He thinks about you to override what others think about you. He wants what He thinks about you to override what you think about you. Why? Because I get my true identity from my everlasting Father. And the reason He's emphasizing this, calling us who we are. Look, if you're not a Christian, you're none of these. If you're not, if you have, if you haven't gave your heart to Christ and been baptized for the remission of your sins, you can't claim any of these. What God would say to you is, you're lost. But you don't have to be. You're not saved, but you don't have to be. You're not really in His family, but you don't have to be. He wants to be able for you to experience your true identity. That's why He came to this earth and died on the cross, because sin had screwed it all up, confused the fire out of us. I'm no good. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7? I want to do good, but I can't. I know nothing good lives in me. That's how he talked about how sin, that's what sin does. It destroys how we see ourselves. It mars it. It distorts it. But Jesus came and set it right. Praise God, he came and set it right. And the reason he's emphasizing this so much, and he wants you to see your true identity, is because he knows, and you know this too, that you live out what you think. You know that's true, right? You live out the thoughts that you have. You live out how you see yourself. So how do you define yourself is very important. 
And the everlasting Father is the source of your true identity. Number two, the everlasting Father is the source of my security. If there's anything I realize that Jesus brings, that Christmas brings is, I can be secure and safe. Because before Jesus came, the world was in lots of trouble. But when the Prince of Peace come, when the Savior come, He provided salvation. He provided great security. Look, it says here in Psalms 4.8, David said, I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord. Make me safe and secure. I think back when I was a kid, and maybe you have a memory like this too. I remember as a kid, I worried a lot. I worried about dying a lot. My mom used to say, I was that kid in What About Bob that wore black. I, I was always thinking about death. And mom would go, what are you worried about that so much for? You're five, for crying out loud. You know, I won't say grow up because that might concern you that you'll be closer to death. Just stop doing that. Stop acting like that. I'd worry about getting a cut. I'd worry about bullies at school. I'd worry about mom and dad and, and where are we going to stay in this house. And I'd worry about, well, just give me something. And I'll find something to worry about. And there were times I was afraid. But then realizing that my dad was just close by. He just happened to be close. Just a proximity of him being close by settled me down. And let's admit it, folks. Let's just admit it. That fear and worry follow us into adulthood. Don't they? Yeah. Now we worry about all kinds of things. You know, maybe may, I don't know if we still worry about getting a pimple. You know, we've passed that, but we worry about our back, our knee. We worry about our hair falling out, turning gray, whatever. We worry about the economy. We worry about the country. We worry about the job. We worry about the car. I mean, we 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 found new things to fill in our fears and worries with. And I want to say to you this morning, when you face these moments of anxiety, just remember the fatherhood of God is close by. It is close by. And God will bring you a sense of peace and security when you get close to the fatherhood of God. You know, Jesus brings this idea up to his disciples here in Matthew 6. I don't know, they got to talking about things of life and, and the worries of life. And then Jesus says in Matthew 6, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And he says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him? than they are. Why is he saying that to them? To bring them some security, to give them some inner peace, to let them know they're going to be safe. He goes on to say in in verse 30, he talks about flowers. He says, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, in other words, they don't even last. And he cares about those flowers. Well, he will certainly, he says, care for you because you last a lot longer than that. You're more important to him than the flowers Why is he saying that to his disciples? He's saying, I'm going to take care of you. Here's the passage Danny alluded to in Psalms 27. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will take care of me. Notice David doesn't say money will take care of him. Job will take care of him. Stuff will take care of him. Or I'll take care of myself. 
No, he's sure that all these things that, oh, that I just mentioned are going to change. And you've discovered that. They change over time. They can change at any time. But his heavenly Father is constant. He's eternal. He's everlasting. And he'll always take care of him. Will he take care of you? Will God take care of me? Will my heavenly Father take care of me? The answer is absolutely. He will take care of you. He'll always take care of you. Everlasting means always. And He'll always be there for you. He'll always be there to protect you. He'll always be there to provide for you. Whatever problem you're facing, it's a temporary one. Because you have such a good, good Father. He's the source of your security. If you want to find real peace and security and safety, it's having a relationship with this everlasting Father. But Jesus brings something else. And that's the, that, the, that the eternal Father is the source of my destiny. I am here because of a Father. You are here because of a Father. Duh. You say, well, what about Mom? Well, we're not talking about Mom today. We're talking about just a Father. You're here because a Father placed you here. See, I remember years ago when my sons were born. It's been 30 years ago Nathan was born. We had watched Die Hard and Denise had contractions and we had Nathan. I don't know if Die Hard had anything to do with it. We're watching Die Hard and she goes, I'm feeling funny. And I go, oh boy, what's that mean? And there were contractions. So I thank Bruce Willis for helping us have that child, you know. But I, here's what I remember. I remember being just so uh, I had thoughts I never had before. The doctor says, uh, "Tim, I need you to sit right over here." I said, "Well, I've seen the films, and I don't care if you've seen the films. You need to sit down over here." But I've done the Lamas, and the doctor says to me, "Shut up and sit down now." And I go, "Okay, man." So I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, the shoe's gonna, this is where the shoe falls. Something bad is happening and they're not telling me yet. And I'd start, I'm on my knees and I'm praying. I'm having thoughts I've never had before. He comes out, well, we've got him. Doesn't tell me it's a boy, just says he. And we're wheeling him in. You want to go with him? It's a boy? It's a boy. All right. And so I'm following the nurse. Like a, I went from tears to this confidence. You know, my my emotions are all over the road. There's my son, and it's and and it's the the day he, the night he's born, and I have all these thoughts that fathers have, new fathers have, panicking, scary thoughts. What if? Am I going to be able? What have I done? You know, this isn't going to work. Oh, oh God, you got to help me. I'm praying. I jot down a letter. And I go, Nathan, you're going to get this after I'm dead. I want to tell you what I'm thinking as we're wheeling you in to the incubators. You know, whatever that is. And I'm telling him all the dreams and all the ideas and all the things that I wish for his life. Matthew comes along just a few years later. I'm, you know, been around the block now. And he's born. But it's a C-section. And I get to watch that. 
I wish they'd have told me to go sit down in the corner. Why do you do this to me? Out pops this lizard. Isn't he wonderful? The doctor's going, going, get him away from me, slimy! That's what I said. I'm not very good at this, okay? But I remember thinking, oh my goodness. You know, he'd, he'd been setting in such a way that his, he looked like he had a party hat on. His head was just pointed. And I'm going, what is wrong with him? Is that ever going to go down? Do I push it now? No, leave it alone. He's got a hematoma or something there going on, you know. And so we're, and I have all, and I jot down my thoughts that night as well on the back of a alt memorial pamphlet, my dreams for Matthew. So I, I, I'm just saying to you, this is what good dads. I, I do think this was a good thing. This is what good dads do, don't they? They have dreams for their kids. They have these thoughts about the future. I picture them as they're born. I'm not even thinking about Denise. I'm not even thinking how she's doing. I'm thinking about, there'll be a day finally, he's going to be walking. And then he'll, and, 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 and Matthew one day, he'll, he'll go to his first day of school and he'll have his little backpack and I wonder what, what it will be. It was Power Rangers. We didn't know that at the time. And, and then they're going to go to school and they're going to make friends and they're going to come home excited about a teacher or maybe not excited about a teacher. Matthew was so upset about, I got Miss McKinney. Well, what's wrong with Mrs. McKinney? All she wants us to do is sit on the carpet and sing songs and pound on the piano. I want to learn something. This kid's five. And we sat down with him and said, well, maybe God has put you in Mrs. McKinney's class so you'll meet somebody that needs to come to church. Oh, that's interesting. My sons learned very early that there was a bigger purpose than getting an education or kicking a soccer ball or getting the keys. They learned it was bigger than even getting married. I pictured them as a baby going, one day they're going to have a wife. Oh God, please let them be good godly wives. Oh God, please let them be wives that are pulling the same direction. Oh, let their kids... Let their kids, oh my goodness, I'll be a grandpa. Well, how long? Oh my goodness. They're, they're just out of the womb. And I'm thinking, I'm going to, Papa, what am I going to hear? And I hear Peepaw, you know, in reality. You don't correct a kid when they say that to you, by the way. And see, I don't want them to experience what I experienced. I want them to experience more. Am I right, Dad? We want them to have more than we had. A better life than we had. We're riding around the golf cart and we're looking at Christmas lights and I brought a big old boom box thing and, and Matthew puts Christmas music on like I would and we're singing Frosty the Snowman and I'm thinking he is setting memories right now. This is so cool to watch. I'm seeing it now. What I visualized when he was just a child. Every decision I made, most of the decisions I made, were how can I fulfill this dream that I have for these two guys? Now, with all that said, I want to say to you this morning, your Heavenly Father is responsible for why you are here. You don't think He has some dreams for you? Has a plan for you? 
wants to do something with you, has an idea of what He wants you to be, I believe He does. Look at this in Colossians 1. This is the message. We look at this Son. We look at Jesus, He says, and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him. In who? In Christ, the everlasting Father, the starter, the originator, the pioneer. He goes against the grain, brings this baby, vulnerable baby, into a very violent world. He introduces something that's needed, and the world doesn't even know they need it. They're in such darkness, they're used to the darkness, and then the light comes on. And they don't even know what to do with this Jesus. They misunderstand Him. They kill Him. Everything got started in Him, and look, and finds its purpose in Him. He was there before all of it came to existence, and holds it all together right up to this moment. Ephesians 1, look what it says here. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out everything and everyone. Why am I here? Let me tell you, if you want to answer that question, you're not going to find it in self-centered questions. You're not going to find the answer to that question by saying, well, what do I want to do? What are my goals? What are my plans? You won't find it like that. I have in my hand here something. I know you can't see it. No one knows what this is in this room. Only I do. No one has a clue what this is. You don't even know the purpose of this. If I give it to you, here, use this. It'll help you. It's a piece of plastic with a screw on the side. It's kind of crooked. What is this? Well, you'll figure it out. You won't. You'll never figure out what this is for. This is something I made that was in my head. Not your head. I had a dream one night, and this came to me. This is a jig that holds a piece of steel a certain way where I can make a little wobble knuckle that makes a sawzall go from one inch stroke to an eighth inch stroke. It remakes the part. You don't know this. The part can't tell you. Hey, what are you for? Ain't going to happen. The part can't even tell. Why? Because the originator only knows the purpose of it. You see where this goes? See how that applies? The originator, the father of you, the everlasting father who was here before you, you know, made you, brought you here, and didn't even consult your opinion as to what he wanted to do with you. You didn't even get to be in on the conversation. He didn't even care. He said, look, it's none of your business. I'm making you for my purpose, not your purpose. And he was thinking about this long before you and I were born. His purpose and plan predate our birth. And this plan is much larger than the little plans I make about money and job and family. 
much bigger than that. Because this plan doesn't just cover from birth to the casket, but goes into eternity. It's that big. It's that broad. And I'm saying to you this morning, as we close out here, that you and I, if you want to discover who you are, you discover who you are, why you're here, by beginning with the beginner. By beginning with the Father of all life. Because He is the source of your true identity. He is the source of your security. And He seals your destiny. So what do you do? You get to know the Everlasting Father. I heard something on the radio bothered me. It's convicting. It went like this. How come there are so many empty churches in America that seem to be getting smaller and smaller? There's a lot of fellas, a lot of people teaching really good stuff. But you can teach something without really knowing. You can teach about Jesus and not knowing. That scared me, Alan. And I wondered if maybe I want to ensure that isn't true for me. But even as hearers, we hear good information. But do we know? This information is really useless unless I take it and apply this idea of the challenges. I need to really know this everlasting Father. I need to seek Him out, get as close as I can to Him. And I'm able to find Him through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I really want to know the everlasting Father, because He says, when you see Me, you see the Father. Do you know Him? I'm asking you Christians, do you know a lot about Him without knowing Him? Once you think and pause and think about that, we're going to be taking up some cards today as we sing, and then we're going to take them up and take up our contribution and close this, this Sunday out. I just don't want us to let another Christmas season go by and we don't get it. We miss it. But if you're a Christian, do you really know the Lord? Are you really doing the things that will help you know and walk closely with God? If you're not a Christian, why not? Why are you that way? Why are you hesitating? Why do you put off baptism? Why do you put off Bible study? And before you blame somebody, just ask yourself, what could you do to find the Lord? Because He is the light shining right now. And He's calling you out of that darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank You for an interesting lesson on Your fatherhood, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to believe You'll take care of us. And Father, we gauge that on maybe how we see fathers do today. We have our own father. But Father, You are a good, good father. You take care of us. You promise to do that. Father, I don't know where everybody else is with this, but Father, I don't want my identity to be defined by what others think. I know that has a big impact, but I don't want it to be the main source of my identity. And Father, we pray that we'll let You be the main source that will believe you what you say over what others say or even what we say to ourselves 
that will really, really accept how you feel and what you want from us. How you feel about us, what you want from us. Lord, I want to pray that uh, for some of us here that were uneasy, we got some worries, that we'll find great, great security in knowing that you are near. And like a father, you care and you want to provide and you want to protect. And Father, whatever some of us are facing that we see is really only temporary. You're eternal. You'll outlast it and you'll be there for us. Always there. And Father, we pray that we'll see our destiny, that we'll see that our plan is bigger than what we want, that we go after what You want, strive after what You want us to be. You made us for a purpose. And we're here this long on this earth right now for a reason. Help us discover that. Let Your Holy Spirit speak to us. Help us fulfill what You dreamed about us before we were born. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.